It's the Total Water Polo Podcast. This week, we feature Chris Oding, who has quietly become maybe one of the best coaches in the entire country. He's currently an assistant on the USA Women's Senior National Team and is head coach at Long Beach City College, which he's led to seven California State Community College Championships. At Corona Del Mar High School, he was CIF Player of the Year in 88 and then went on to win three NCAA championships with the Cal Bears, plus a Co-Player of the Year award. That led to a career with USA Men's National Team, including two Olympic Games appearances, 1996 in Atlanta and 2000 in Melbourne. So here he is, Chris Oding with Lala Kochish via Instagram way back in May. I'm sure you're you're busy with all that stuff as well. You sound a lot busier than I am, but uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, club is a it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not just uh, one team you're dealing with. You're dealing with organizing uh, so many groups and so many moving parts, um, and they're not always constant, you know. So um, it's that's that's a challenge for sure. So w- without having pools. It makes it even yes. more difficult, for sure. Yes. We How are, are you guys trying, surviving? Though, I'm trying to run a, a lot of Zoom calls and trainings, and, and we're doing this, for example. Sure. Um, lo- lots of film uh, analysis, you know, ball handling and, and, and skills. Uh, we're trying to do as much as possible online. But uh, you know, it's just not the same. It's it's good to to keep in touch and and uh, and do something. You know, be stick with water polo. But yeah, your your feet are not touching the water. It's 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 not the right way. I agree, one hundred percent. Oh yeah. Uh, how's it looking for you guys at Long Beach? Um, just the challenges of um, not only the state but the local jurisdictions allowing us to to meet on campus and I think it's the same with everybody where um, everyone's waiting for someone else to make a move so we're all getting our plans lined up and and have our return to practice ideas Mm -hmm. Um, but until we uh, that trickles down to us it it doesn't really do us any good so it's the same you know for the summer Mm -hmm. we'll have online um, which, like you said, is great, you know, um, for incoming students because maybe you can share some video and some philosophy and things like that. But in terms of skill development and water time, I mean, there's no substitute Fitness. for that. <laughs> right. Um, but as you know, I mean, just from last year being at Chafee, like what we struggle with during the school year is actually um, learning time and like video breakdown and things like that, just because there's not the time for it. Um, So having that time, I think could be a blessing in disguise um, with the hope that we're back in the, you know, water in small group, you know, whatever it looks like type of situation uh, in, in the not too distant future. Yeah. I mean, you know, that would be the dream that we're doing tactical stuff, film and everything all summer. We get back in the fall and everyone knows what to do. That, that would be the ideal situation. Right. Uh, they just have to apply it. Um, right. Anyways, though, usually we, we get started with a, with a short introduction, uh, just so everyone knows who you are, uh, where you're coming from, what you've been up to, what you're doing currently. So, um, so if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about uh, 
how you got started with water polo. Sure. You know, I'm probably one of the older guys that you've had on this uh, Instagram, as you can tell by my difficulty getting onto it. But um, uh, my name is Chris Oding. Um, I'm the head water polo coach for uh, men and women at Long Beach City College. And I've been an assistant with our women's national team since 2013. Um, the, the getting started in water polo uh, was... Uh, a long time ago, actually, didn't start till I was in high school. I don't know, um, you know, all the athletes now don't know what uh, sport was like before there was year-round clubs. Um, but um, you know, when I was entering high school, it was 1985, which was you know before most everybody <laughs> around here was born. Um, and, and we didn't have year-round clubs. Uh, you know, it was the typical um, swim during the summer, play soccer during the fall, you play basketball in the winter, spring baseball. So it was kind of multi-sports uh, uh, depending on the season. Um, and for me, I got started in water polo because I really migrated towards soccer and I had visions of being a, um, you know, a soccer star. Um, I was highly competitive and loved sport and athletics, but um, soccer was my sport growing up. And <clears throat> as I was entering high school, soccer is a spring sport. And so I needed to find something to, to do during the fall. Um, I have an older brother who played water polo and was uh, actually very successful in his own right. Um, and so I decided during the fall to try out water polo and um, granted, I'd only seen him play maybe a handful of times. You know, being a younger brother, I wanted nothing to do with my older brother, right? I, I wanted to do my own thing. So um, I never really went and watched him play, but I had a little bit of a swimming background, so I decided to play water polo in the fall of my freshman year. Um, needless to say, by the end of that season, um, my coach at the time told me, like, uh, yeah, you're not going to be playing soccer in the fall. You're going to be swimming. Um, so that's kind of how it all started for me. I guess, you know, the rest is, uh, you know, from there, I, I went to school at UC Berkeley, um, in the, uh, early nineties and was fortunate to play with incredible teammates and staff and had a lot of success there. And then went on and, uh, played with our national team from, uh, 1993 through the 2000 Olympics and was fortunate enough to be able to play in, uh, the 96 and 2000 Olympic games. And for water polo players, since there's no uh, domestic professional league, uh, that you know that's kind of what I think we all strive for. Absolutely, and then let's not forget to mention the NC2A titles and co-player of the year. So, so from being or wanting to be a soccer star, going all the way to the Olympics and water polo and winning all that you did—that's that's quite impressing and and probably. Uh, well, I, I would hope that you're happy with that decision to leave <laughs> soccer behind and, and stick with water polo. That coach, whoever it was that told you that, that you needed to do swimming, uh, knew it. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you this. I think that, um, you know, your life path takes a direction based on your motivations and desires, but also um, people that you come in contact with and, uh, opportunities that that come up. Um, so to just kind of shed a little light on on your response there, um, it's just so happened that the coach at my high school at the time was John Vargas, 
who was a brand new water polo coach at the time, um, you know, who became uh, an Olympic coach for me in 2000 at uh, those Olympic games and has been at Stanford as the men's coach there uh, ever since. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I had the competitive background. I felt like I'm a pretty athletic guy, but I think having someone um, you know, of that uh, ability and wherewithal uh, to know and see those things and help direct has, uh, you know, made the trajectory of my life totally change. That is, uh, that must be something very, very unique to have your high school coach go to the Olympics with you. That's, I don't, I don't know how many, how many athletes can say that, that that's quite a journey that you guys had together. Yeah, there's good and bad with that because he knows a lot about you. You know a lot about him, but uh, there's definitely uh, the trust there, and um, that that goes a long way, especially when you get to the higher levels. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, the first Olympics he went to in '96. Uh, I, I talked to a couple of Olympians uh, weeks ago, and. But I feel like yours is really special because you got to play at the Olympics in the U.S. Atlanta, first Olympics. Uh, how was that experience? Because I bet it's, it was so different from, from Sydney in, in 2000 and all that. It's, it's just great. Uh, eye-opening for sure. I think going through the experience uh, the first time or if at all can become overwhelming. Um, and of course, being a, a younger guy, I, I felt like I had everything under control, right? You know, um, but when you uh, walk into the stadium at opening ceremonies um, with, you know, over 100,000 people on their feet, just uh, deafening sound, it's, you realize, like, am I ready for this? <laughs> you know, Um it was very special to play in the U S for sure. And, um, a lot of uh, friends and family were able to, to join and be a part of that. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, and to go back to the opening ceremonies, I mean, you, you have the torch that's been carried all over the country. And then in the stadium runs Janet Evans, who's an aquatics, you know, legend in her own right. And you're just wondering, you know, who's going to light the, the torch and, um, then you see Muhammad Ali up there, which is, um, you know, just from that uh, region of our country, and especially with things that are going on in our country right now, you know, it's kind of fitting, um, but it was uh, pretty awe-inspiring. Um, but the whole experience was, um, you, you know, you think you can focus on it as just another tournament, um, but there's so many distractions that go on Um Wonderful distractions, um, but uh, yeah, it's something I'll never uh, forget uh, being able to play in front of a, uh, the home crowd. Uh, and actually, a fun fact uh, for those who live around here in the in the Rancho Cucamonga, Claremont area, if if I know it correctly, and some of you may know better who are watching, the Olympic torch, I believe, was carried on uh, Euclid. Uh, in Upland, uh, that that was one of the one of the routes the the, the Olympic torch was was carried on. So that's actually a, a pretty cool fact about our area. Um, it it had to be such a great experience for the crowds out here to have that uh, have that happen. You know, it's, it's just so unique. Um, 
comparing the two games in 96 and in 2000, obviously it's different when you're playing at home. Uh, and then the the first time you're a true rookie, then you're the returner, you're the more experienced guy as a captain, right, uh, of the team. How would you compare the, the two Olympics, the two experiences besides what I just listed? Yeah, you know, my, my memories of Sydney are very fond. Um, I think that that uh, country and, and Sydney specifically really opened up its arms to the world. Um, you know, we talk about the Olympic Games as being the greatest display of world peace that there is. Um, and they really embodied that um, from um, just the volunteers at every venue um, to the spirit of competition to the, you know, the, the typical, um, you know, Aussie attitude of, of just going for it and, and having fun. Just- so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and for me, you know, being the second time through it, I, I had a little bit uh, better understanding of, of what to expect from a um, outside of competition type of experience because um, being in the village, it's it, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's athletes from all over the world. You talk about distractions. Um, I mean, there's every type of distraction that you can ever imagine at the same time. It's it's fantastically glorious, you know, I mean, inside the village is everything that you'd ever want. It's its own little city. So you've got, you know, um, you know, food available 24 hours a day, which for athletes is, you know, wonderful. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you have that, you have movie theaters, you have, you know, entertainment areas with, you know, so, um, so Sydney was, uh, I think I enjoyed it more. Um, just because I wasn't so overwhelmed with the noise and the way that the country really uh, ran those games. Not to say that it was is wasn't run that way in the U.S., but uh, I think I, maybe I was a little bit more aware of of those types of situations in in Sydney. It's probably coming in as a freshman, and then and then being a senior, uh, your fourth year, and exactly there's there's a fourth for your difference, how would you uh, describe your performance? Uh, do you think you grew by, by the time you, uh, you got to Sydney as a player? Uh, did you, do you think you played better as an individual in Sydney than, than uh, in Atlanta? Well, like you mentioned, it's, it is a four-year span, so I think that you kind of evolve over that time, um, where uh, in Atlanta – um, I was a, a little bit younger, um, you know, so being, uh, 25 years old as, as opposed to, you know, 28 or 29, um, you know, my, my role was different on the team. Um, so, uh, I think as everybody experiences during their career, there's times where, um, you know, you're making more physical contributions. And mostly those types, uh, I was, a uh, uh, one of the shorter guys, I don't want to say smallest, but, you know, being six one and, you know, being the little guy on the team, um, my job was really the ball would come through me a lot. Um, I was, you know, a counterattacker driver, a perimeter shooter. So, um, you know, as, as far as that, I was called upon to score a little bit more, I think in Atlanta, um, whereas in Sydney, uh, 
you know, just having a little bit more experience and wherewithal um, under my belt, that was still uh, part of the process for me, but also had, you know, younger uh, weapons to kind of rely on when you needed them, you know. Um, that was uh, Tony Azevedo's first Olympic Games at, at 18. Um, so he, myself, and Wolf were kind of in a uh, – Wolf Ligo were in, in a group together as attackers. Um, and uh, I just was trying to hold up, hold up my end of the bargain. Um, you have been coaching, uh, for a long time now. Um, how, how did you make that decision? Did you always know that you wanted to be a coach or it just kind of happened? You, you stuck with it like most of us. It was not the original plan, but somehow you just stuck with it because you missed it and loved it so much. How, how did that happen for you? Uh, I think that. I felt like I always had something to give. Um, and I had and still do a, a, a big passion for the game. Um, when I was at Berkeley, I didn't redshirt my first year. Um, I played directly out of high school, but I ended up staying academically for a fifth year. So that fifth year, I started getting involved in some coaching with like the uh, redshirt redshirt groups and some of the uh, local clubs up in, in the Bay area. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I had a, a friend of mine who, you know, saw that and had encouraged me to pursue it, you know, and, and we know what a struggle it is if you are trying to coach water polo and make a career out of it, you are either, just toiling away seven days a week as a club coach and trying to hold it together while piecing other jobs together, uh, maybe a, a part-time job at a, a high school or community college or, or whatever that may be. So um, as a career path, it was, um, you know, something I was very interested in, but I just needed to find out what level and where I could make that happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, initially it was coaching club, um, and my friend had encouraged me to look at community college actually, because it's different than, than other levels. Um, you know, I think that sometimes community college gets a bad rap, um, because, uh, of just, it's, it's a plan B or a second option or, or else, but career wise, um, you know, it, it made sense. And it's, and what I discovered by pursuing that is, um, are, are there higher levels of water polo? Certainly. I mean, there always are. Um, but when it comes down to it, you are a teacher and y you are using, um, water polo to connect with your students. Um, and, uh, having the ability to, um, create a career where I can uh, be on a pool deck every day, um, uh, work with student athletes, uh, coaching a sport that I love and make a difference in their lives. Um, maybe it wasn't the first thing that I had aspired to do when I was a, a college kid. Um, but uh, I'm glad I listened to my, my buddy's advice because it's uh, obviously been the path that I've chosen.
that is that is great. It, the right away you you had this, you felt this passion, and and they just you know dragged you with it. I I think a lot of us are like that, where we don't think that's something we want to do, but we start doing it, and we start loving it, and it's just so hard to get away from it. We just stick with it. Um, over and I, and the I think years, we, I, I think we all sacrifice something in our journey right like we're not setting out to become millionaires and take over the world financially right um, we want to we want a quality of life and uh, know that we're making a difference in 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 people's lives and getting to do something that we enjoy like i i always say and in, in you know maybe this isn't 100 true but um you know there hasn't been a day where i've woken up where i've dreaded going to work <laughs> You know, and, and I don't yes. know how many people can, can say that, you know, is it, is it difficult at times? Uh, 100%, you know, but what jobs not? And I, you know, I don't necessarily even look at it as a job, but an opportunity or privilege, you know, to be able to do something I love to do and get a chance to work with uh, people and help them figure out what they want to do as well. And and just the fact that it's not an eight to five job, you know, I we do travel a lot and and we sometimes we do work eight hour days or even longer ones yeah, when we yeah. have to tra- have to travel and and like you said we bounce around between teams, club, college, high school, this and that. But but it's just not the same uh, as sitting in an office in the same spot for eight hours. It's just constant interaction, mentoring, and it, it has its its little magic, I would say. Um, over the years, uh, you've coached so many different athletes, uh, different teams, men's and women's teams, even swimming, water polo, you've been teaching. Uh, what's one lesson uh, from your experience is that if a brand new coach would go up to you and say, Hey, Chris, like what's something that you really need to look out for or what's something that I should make sure to do to be a, a good coach? What would be that one piece of advice? It can be two or three, not just one, but, but just the main thought. Um, you, you got to care. I mean, we talked about there needs to be that passion of enjoying what you do, um, but you got to care about the people that you're working with. And, um, the, you know, it's like I say, it's we're, we're all highly competitive. We all want to beat each other. We all want to win. Um, but at the end of the day, that's just a byproduct of the real work that we're doing. Um you have to care about the people you're working with and um, genu- selflessly, you know, wanting to see them um, become better people and improve. And, and uh, you know, there, there's so much more, you know, it's funny you ask because I think to some extent, you know, when you first come into coaching, you measure success by wins and losses. And I was the same way, you know. Um, what was my record this year? Did we win a conference championship? Did we win a state championship? And basing my success off that, um, and like I just mentioned before that, like, yeah, I want to do those things, 
But at the end of the day, it's what are my student athletes doing or my club players doing? What are they striving for? Who do they want to become? Um, and you have to have that, that caring for your athletes um, to make it uh, meaningful because the winning only goes so far. You know, it's, uh, it's got to be more than just wins and losses. In, in my and, opinion. And their athletes know. And feel. They know. Yeah, they, 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 they can tell. And I'm sure I've had athletes. 110%. Yeah, and I'm sure I had athletes uh, early on in my career that don't think very highly of me um, because it was just trying to establish that, you know, we got we to gotta win, we got to win, we got to win. Um, but I, I think that, you know, over time, it's like, I'm okay with that. You know, it's trying to figure it out and, uh, figure out what's important to you, and and uh, that's kind of what I've have come to through this whole process. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today, and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now, part two of today's conversation. You've been working with the, the U.S. Women's National Team uh, for quite a while now. Um, what do you think makes this team so powerful for many years now you know when women's water polo really started up at 2000 olympic I, the the u.s team was always there top three sometimes they they just missed the, the podium but they were always with the world and and in uh in 2006 it, it was just or 2008 boom they they just got on the top of the world and and not many teams have been able to to beat them even at scrimmages. What's something uh, you think they they're doing so great that's working? Uh, trust um, and connection. Um, I think when you get to the Olympic level, I think there's um, athleticism, um, skill, those differences become much smaller. You know, when you're a age group athlete, you know, uh, athleticism and skill, huge difference between one player to the next. And as you start to climb that ladder and go into high school, even more in college and mostly at the national team, there's a, there's not, a ton that separates teams um, from an athletic point of view, speed, strength, and, and all those things. Um, what uh, the differences between those teams that have success and those that don't, in my opinion, are those that can play free. Um, and in order to do that, I think there needs to be a level of of trust in the process and connection with um, not only your teammates, but just uh, all those involved. So, um, you, you know, you're right. Like I, going back to my second Olympics in Sydney, that was the, had the 
opportunity to, to see the first ever uh, women's Olympic water polo game, which to this day is probably the most, you know, exciting for the Australians finish that has probably ever happened in, in Olympic sport for them. So they were, you know, silver, bronze, silver, silver. Um, so, yeah, you're right. We U.S. has always been there. Um, and I just think it's been that, uh, that establishment that's taken some time uh, over those years uh, of the trust and the, the connection between players that's kind of been that element that's helped them to get over the top. Do you think the the fact that we have such a strong league uh, in the NC2A for for women's water polo and even men's water polo, but obviously for for men's the the European leagues, the, those men's professional leagues, it's it's really hard to compete with just the because of the physical things. And when professional thirty year old men go against the 22-year-old uh, national team players, it's very different. But but do you think on the women's side, uh, it, it's something big and it, it, it gives uh, the U.S. women's team an advantage that uh, that you guys, coaches, get to pull from that strong league, uh, those players? Absolutely. You know, and just to your point, I think what hinders the men is actually a benefit for the women. Right. Um, the U.S. system, as you know, is, you know, athletics is tied with school where in Europe it's not. So you can freely move up anytime you want in your club because it's not based on what level you are in school. Um, for men, that's a hindrance, um, you know, uh, in their development where I feel like uh, with the women, um, you know, one, we're we give uh, women have uh, a great opportunity to compete in, in sport and is supported, which it should be. Um, and also uh, just having that league here. I was actually surprised to realize that the NC2A women's league is one of the top leagues in the world, <laughs> you know, where, where, one the simple fact because not. of the num because of the numbers, right? That's because true. the NC two A has like I would say like twelve to fifteen pretty decent teams and, and even from that twelve to twenty teams are up and down, they're they're moving versus if I just bring up Hungary as an example, uh I can't remember ever having eight actual solid teams in the women's league. It was always a Top four, really, maybe that fifth team could compete with the fourth, the third, but it was usually that top four, and then the rest of the teams, they stayed in the Division One league, but, you know, it was always the top four, bottom four, and I think it's very similar uh, in Italy and Spain. Uh, so the NC2A is, hands down, I think, the strongest one. Yeah. And, and even on, I would say even on the men's side, you, it's unique to have those 12, 14, 15 teams. I, I don't think many, even European uh, leagues, have that even of a competition. Um, well, like you mentioned, even with some of those leagues uh, in Hungary and Spain and all that, like you might get a majority of those national team players that are playing on the same club together, so they're not even necessarily diversified. 
where they could create, you know, more competitive, um, you know, or at least more parity between the, the clubs that are playing. But the, the number of athletes, you're right. I mean, uh, it's something that people don't realize is how many athletes that we have available as opposed to some other countries throughout the world, you know. So um, having them infused in the NC2A, um, uh, it's, it's been great uh, for um, the development of our women's water polo program. Um, and uh, it's been a, obviously a, a spot where, the national team is drawing, you know, all of its players. Do you see a chance uh, to have a professional or maybe semi-professional league in the U.S. Uh, anytime soon? They, I know that they, they have the um, what is it, national league called for, for the men's right. Right. Uh, for the men's side. On the women's side, we have the Masters Nationals, and it's not as developed. But do you see it going even further anytime soon from just the National League? Well, it would be interesting to see what the NC2A does, right? Because now they're talking about potentially allowing their athletes to get paid. So will that become, you know, professional in that sense? Uh, will there be a need for a professional league if something that, like that were to occur? Um, um, but I, I don't know, you know, I know they're, they're trying out. I know that USA water polo for, uh, years has been trying to create that elite level league because there's so few opportunities for our athletes, um, after, uh, high school, you know, so post 18 and under, basically you're either playing with your college team or national team. Now that's a big jump right so it would be fantastic to have some sort of league where those athletes that were done playing college and didn't necessarily make the national team have an opportunity to play and it could potentially you know help the the rest of uh the the system too but um it, it's hard to tell if that's gonna uh take off or, or not given uh the successes that the women have had especially um i'm wondering if they feel like there's a need to do that that is actually a good point. See, I never thought about it that way. They're great. So why, <laughs> why work on something extra and, uh, and all that? Well, um, there is a need for those. Like I said, I mean, well, I, I think more so on the, on the men's side, like the guys are always looking for ways to extend their water polo career. I mean, they would, oh, they're, play just, their... they're just naturally competitive. They just want to keep going at it. No, they just don't want to work. They don't want to no. start. The, they don't want to start the rest of their life. You know, it's like, uh, um, so, um, but yeah, I, I think there is that void of not having an opportunity for those post-collegiate athletes to play. Um, but it doesn't seem to this point that there's really been an answer for it. Um, going back to your experience coaching at the different levels and men and women and even different sports with, with coaching and uh, swimming, what do you think is the key thing um, to have a successful program really at any level, club level, high school level. And I would love to hear your, your opinion from the, the leadership administrative slash coaches uh, side. And then what 
the athletes in in that program uh, need to do need to think the mentality to have a true strong program? Um, I, I think commitment in uh, consistency. Um, you know, I think what really separates and even looking at a club level, what separates a lot of programs from one another is, you know, uh, coaches and administration that are committed to a constant and common message uh, and outline uh, their expectations and hold their members or their student athletes accountable. Um, it, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily um, what you know, water polo wise, I think, you know, that that's kind of um, a byproduct of all this stuff. But I think just in terms of that, um, that consistency and that contact with with uh, athletes and students um, keeps keeps them engaged. And I think it's that engagement um, that keeps them interested in, in, in moving forward. So, you know, if we're, you know, trying to um, establish traits and characteristics of success and excellence and all these things, then you have to be able to uh, uh, provide that for them and show them, show them what that is. Um, and not necessarily by what you say, um, they're, they're going to read how you act and what you do. So you can talk all day long about excellence and, and commitment and all these things. But if, if you're uh, cutting practice short or, or bailing out on this or that or um, not constantly, uh, you know, keeping yourself engaged, um, then they're going to read right through that. Um, so I guess from an administrative and, you know, a coaching side of things, that's what uh, I think is just is, is keeping them engaged as, as much as possible um, and, and hearing your message as much as possible. And uh, is there something that you would uh, you would say to the parents? Because I know a number of parents are watching or will watch it and, and uh, their role in, in the success of an athlete's uh, career or just uh, like, you know, the whole clubs or whole program uh, is huge. Uh, and I think it, it's much, much bigger of a role than they realize. Is there a thought that, that you would share with the parents? I, I'd say from a parental viewpoint, because I, you know, I myself have a son that's a junior in high school. I live down in Orange County. He's uh, plays for Newport Beach Water Polo and goes to Newport Harbor High School. Um, I feel like it's the parents' job to do their research in um, finding out a program that they think best fits their ideals um, of what they think um, is best for their child. And then from that point forward, turn over your trust to the coaches in uh, the club and do everything that you can to support them. Um, don't, don't intervene. Um, you know, the coaches and the administration are experts in what they do. So, you know, you as a parent, um, do your research on where you want your child to be. And once you've found a good spot for them to be, um, support the coaches, support the club, um, support your child as much as possible. Um, you know, that, I, that's, that's kind of where... I come in from a parent and then also, um, you know, just as, you know, a coach in general um, is uh, 
we uh, are professionals in what we do and, and uh, let, let us, let us do what we do, you know, um, at, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, Even right. though I'm, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I agree. Um, if anyone has any questions, uh, go for it. Uh, it's, it's time for questions uh, for you guys. But uh, while we're waiting for those questions to pop up on our screen, uh, I must ask, how are you as a parent at water polo games when you go, is it, is it, it must be so difficult. It's, it's been a process. And I think that was part of my response. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate to uh, be in a situation where I feel like my son's uh, in good hands, but I think as coaches, we're always critical. Um, uh, so it's, it's been, a challenge for me, you know, initially, uh, I wanted to be coach and then I was, uh, you know, informed rather quickly from my son, like, okay, that's, that's not good for our relationship. Um, and so I've done a much better job at just supporting and becoming dad and, uh, letting the, the, the uh, coaches do what they do. Uh, we have a question. How do you get recruited for the national team? And that's a lengthy process, but uh, <laughs> but what would be uh, what would be your answer to that? Well, I think you know water polo is a pretty small sport. I think national team coaches, uh, the ODP pipeline um, uh, clubs are all involved in the process. Um, so you know, in terms of getting recruited, um, you know, it's it's something where um, I, I would start with, uh, show up to practice every day, you know, um, uh, uh, try your hardest, do your best, um, and, and let things fall into place from there. Um, but specifically to the question, um, you know, it's, it's, a the senior national team is, is kind of by invitation only. And then they do have, open tryouts. So anybody's welcome to come in and try out, um, on, on certain weekends that are, uh, announced through USA water polo. Um, uh, some people choose to go through the ODP pipeline. Um, other athletes decide not to. Um, and that's just a decision that, uh, you know, the athletes and parents will need to make. Um, I think between um, the club seasons and all that stuff that there's enough exposure for um, athletes to be seen and recognized and, and uh, you know, talked about to, to be involved in that process. If I'm being vague, I don't mean to be. I'm taking it from a senior national team perspective. Um, I, I believe that all the pipeline teams um, are through ODP only. Yes, that that is true. I at least I, as an ODP coach, I cannot really <laughs> recall a, a situation where we were like, "Hey, you come." Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, do you know of a player who got on the national team through a open tryout versus either invitational or uh, uh, ODP pipeline? <sighs> Um, there's gotta be somebody out there. Um, I, I, I know there are, I would say they are a minority, maybe 
a couple girls um, through the process. Um, but I don't know if there are any Olympians that um, went through that process. I think they may have been part of the national team during mm-hmm. a quad. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, got an opportunity to prove themselves, but, um, I don't believe there's any Olympians that have gone through that process, but don't hold me to that. I'm not a historian. I'm a coach. <laughs> um, I totally forgot my next question, but we, good thing we have one. Um, what is your thought on coaching men versus women or women versus men? Um, what I don't like to ask it, uh, if which one's better uh, than the other because they're both very, very different. Uh, what's your thought on that? I, I love coaching both of them. They are different. Um, and, uh, but it's, um, you know, in this, I don't want to get controversial here, but um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it all comes down to, to just the, uh, the environment that you create, you know, and, and guys um, are going to act a little bit different than women and women different than men. Um, but when you get that uh, cohesive unit that trusts each other and um, wants to work for each other, I don't care if it's men or women or cats or dogs or whatever it is, um, uh, you know, that that's the – the goal that you're looking for. So I, you know, for me, I really enjoy coaching both because of their, their unique qualities. Um, there are two questions here. What's your favorite moment as a player slash coach? Ooh. Um, wow. There's a, that, that's a tough one. Um, I, I don't know if it's a specific moment, um, but what I relish about being a player is just the relationships that I've created with my teammates um, and, you know, not any one moment specifically. I, I was fortunate to be a part of some very successful teams. Um, you know, we uh, were able to win a few NC2A championships when I was up at Berkeley um, uh, a few CIF championships when I was in high school. Um, and then obviously the, the time I spent with the national team. And I, I would say those, the moments I spent with my teammates, uh, uh, celebrating our, our successes, um, uh, on any of those given, uh, uh, times would be a moment, um, which is probably a cop-out answer. Um, but, but that's what I'm, I'm going with. Um, and then coaching wise, it's, it's the same thing. It's, uh, not necessarily, um, you, you know, I, a state championship win or being on the bench during, uh, uh, an Olympic gold medal game. It's, it's that, uh, the feeling and the, the sense that you get from your girls and your guys when, um, all of that work has come together, um, and even on some of the, the, the times where we, we didn't reach our ultimate goal, um, but that group had accomplished uh, more than they thought they could and kind of um, went beyond what they thought was possible. You know, it's, it's those types of moments that uh, have given me the most joy. Uh, Alex Law is asking, what is a unique or favorite experience outside of Waterfall and all your travels? 
And he's asking that because he got left behind in Rio at the pool, <laughs> he told us during the, <laughs> his interview. So I'm assuming he's looking for something like that. Uh, no, that's unique to Alex. I don't know what happened to him. But <laughs> oh, yeah, there's uh, the travel's been one of the unique parts of the national. Have, have you, you said you do uh, pipeline work? Is, yes. Uh, and have you been on trips with teams? Uh, the only trip that I did with, with ODP was when we, we went up. Uh, up north two years ago for national championships. Uh, was truly hoping for this summer that uh, that it would be a, a good summer, an ODP yeah. summer, but uh, still waiting for the moment. Yeah. No, there was, I mean, there's, there's always, you know, interesting things that go on on the road. And um, we had, uh, we're traveling back to the FINA Cup. This is when I was an assistant coach with the uh, women's national team. Um, and these uh, championships were in Conti Mansisk. Uh, this is in Siberia, Russia. Um, so, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, after flying into Moscow and then, you know, staying there for eight hours before our next flight to Surgut and then a long bus ride out to Conti Mansisk, we landed at an airport and it's still the middle of the night. We don't know what time it is. And, um, they don't have they they have buses that take you off the planes, and so they you know as everybody's walking off these planes, they're like you know Americans in this bus over here, everybody else over here, and so we're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Where are they taking us? You know, it's uh, you, you have this American perspective of Siberia, and oh my gosh, we're going to be you know taken away into the. Uh, come to find out that they had prepared a ceremony for us, which was their traditional um, bread cutting ceremony and giving some to the whole team. So, of course, we look like the jerks for even questioning that in the first place. But I'm sure it was a really good laugh afterwards. Everyone was freaking out that you guys were going to get kidnapped because I assume Absolutely. they had a re really strong accent and just right. taking you guys separately. Yes, we we had a, a couple really interesting and fun adventures with the with the Hungarian team too. Um, I feel like you have an endless list of stories. Like it's just it's just so great. Um, our time is uh, is is ending shortly. We're coming to our hour limit. Uh, so what we do to finish up each interview, we have speed questions. Uh, 60 10... seconds of what's on your mind. Huh? No, go ahead. <laughs> um, only 10 questions, really simple uh, questions. So try to answer them as quick as possible. Uh, of course, if you have a thought that you would like to add, feel free, but, uh, but they're, they're pretty easy questions, so I'm sure we're going to be just fine with the quick answers. So if you're ready, we're going to get started with it. Let's do it. Number one, what's your favorite food? Sushi. Uh, favorite movie? Um, Spies Like Us. Uh, favorite sports team? Ooh, you know, I started watching or playing fantasy football, so that kind of ruined my whole NFL. I'm going to have to be um, a Lakers goober. There you go. If not water polo, then what sport? Would have been soccer. There you go. Um, 
who do you think is the best player of all times? Best water polo player. Too tough to answer. <laughs> yeah, there are many good players. Um, what's your favorite place that you've visited? Um, I've loved a lot of places I've gone to. Um, I would have to say, oh, that's a tough question, Laura. There's been so many places I've been to. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Budapest. Yay, you're the second person in a row who says that. Hometown. Um, What's a uh, bucket list item you have not completed? Well, I like to fish. I'd like to catch a bluefin tuna. That's a unique one. Um, Are you a night person or a morning person? Morning. Uh, What's your favorite activity outside of water polo? I think I answered that. I like to fish. That's true. And the last one, let's go. This is the first time I'm asking this, and I think it's kind of hard. Uh, if you had to wear one outfit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I'm a water polo coach, so it would be shorts and a T-shirt. You know, it's uh, and sandals. With rainbows, I assume. Yes, yes. So Cal. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that would be it uh, for our interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for taking the time uh, of your Monday night uh, to do this interview with us and uh, give us some insight on your um, on your coaching and the national team. Now we know how to get recruited to the national team. So I hope all of our athletes are going to be working really hard and and uh, going after that dream. Thanks for having me. Of course, you have a great night and uh, take care. Hopefully no riots, no protests or anything and, and we're going to be back in the, in the pool soon. Yeah, it's tough times. I, uh, I pray for our country and everybody stay safe. Thank you, Chris. Have a good Bye. one. That's it for today. We'll return next week with more of the Total Water Polo podcast. But thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all the podcasty things that you're supposed to do on most of the biggest distribution channels. We are there. So until next time, so long from Austin. of TWP Sports LLC.